Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host V. What it do? Today is December 5th, 2019. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. On today's show, we will talk about the rise of Lamar Jackson with special guest Cornelius Green. Talk some fantasy football because coincidentally, V and I are matched up in the first round of the playoffs Uh-oh. this weekend. <laughs> and we'll do a Big Ten championship preview with our resident college football insider, Zach Smith. I'm excited about today's show, V. Really? Why? Well, particularly the Lamar Jackson segment, you know, with Cornelius Green. You know, Cornelius Green was the first African-American quarterback at Ohio State who was also coincidentally asked to play wide receiver in the NFL. So there's a little bit of crossover of he there. Was. Yeah, yeah. So there's some crossover there between his story and Lamar Jackson's story, and we'll get his insight on that. But before we officially get into the show, I'm going to rant. <laughs> Ohio State beat the shit out of Michigan this weekend. But before I rant, listen to this bullshit from some Michigan radio show, Michigan podcast. And when it's over, it's on. We know that Ohio State operates like a football factory, and we aren't making excuses here. They're one of four, three or four programs here where, for example, Justin Fields has never set foot in a classroom, according to an article we read, I think, in the Columbus Dispatch, where he says he's taking online classes because it gives me more time to prepare for football and studying and stuff, okay, I think was the quote. So um, I don't know how you counter that, man. I really don't because you're talking about programs like Michigan. I know you hate Notre Dame. They operate the same way that the Penn States that, you know, this is still college football, but you're looking at programs that are semi-pro programs and you got one of them in your division. Uh, I don't know how you overcome that, man, unless you strive to be like them. And that's, that's not what you want to be. Damn. All right. <laughs> Where do I even fucking start? Okay. All right. Let me start here. I'm a Ohio State fan, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. The whole family went to Ohio State. I played football at Ohio State. Everybody kind of knows that by now. So it's an important game to us. And it was always an important game to us. And so I'm going to talk about it. You know, I've been listening to social media and, and the aftermath of the game. And I've been hearing these different takes like the one we just heard. And it feels as though people are trying to build in so many different levels and layers of excuses for why Michigan cannot beat Ohio State. Losers make excuses. And there's nothing inherent about domination here, even though it feels like there is because Ohio State has won so many games in a row and kicks Michigan's ass that it feels like it's in, it's inherent. But the, mm-hmm. it, there is nothing actually inherent about it. And actually, if you were around in the 90s, you would, you would see that this was reversed. Ohio State used to lose consistently to Michigan. So it's, it's normal to come up with excuses when you get your face kicked in, right? You get your shit kicked in, it's kind of normal to come it's up with excuses. hard to accept defeat. Despite all that, though, it still is the best rivalry in sports. It is, historically. Yes, right now, Ohio State has beat Michigan a lot, and it doesn't seem like that, but it's still one of the best rivalries. When I listen to these fucking punk-ass analysts, or whatever they call themselves, podcast hosts, we're making these excuses about why Michigan can't compete. Let's, let's just talk about something for a second. Jim Harbaugh is one of the highest paid. I think he's the third highest paid coaches in all of college 7. football. $7.5 million. $7.5 base. Not talking about bonuses and all the other shit that he gets and access to all the other stuff that he has. They have all the resources. They've dumped all of the resources into their football program. All of them. This so-called pristine 
academic institution has dumped all of their money into their football program. They're flying around their, their players into all, all across the world on these ritzy-ditzy trips and act like they're so much better than everybody. Jim Harbaugh's creepy ass is having sleepovers with people. They're doing everything <laughs> that they can to try to compete. The reason why Ohio State dominates Michigan is not because Michigan doesn't care. It's not because Michigan doesn't put the money in. It's not because they haven't hired a coach who, or try to hire coaches who they think can get the job done. It's because Ohio State is better. They're better at player development. They're better coached. They're better at motivating. That is the reason why they're getting this product on the field. See, the thing is, is Michigan isn't just losing to Ohio State. They're getting their ass kicked. By everybody. They lost to Ohio State by 30 points. They're averaging, Ohio State is averaging 60 points against Michigan the last two years. So you have to ask yourself this. What is the reason why that's happening? Because the reality is, it doesn't take a lot to win. It takes a lot to win a college football game. But there are teams with less talent that win football games, just like Iowa and Purdue kicked Ohio State's ass the past couple years. So don't tell me that you don't have what it takes to, to beat Ohio State. The reality is that Ohio State is better coached, they're better, the players are better prepared, and they're better at motivating. That is the reason why they win this game. It has nothing to do with online fucking classes. It has nothing to do with resources and even recruiting. Let's talk about recruiting for, for a second. There is a talent gap a little bit at Ohio State, but I guarantee you take those same players at Michigan, you put them on Ohio State, Ohio State would still fucking kick Michigan's ass because Ohio State is better overall as a program, and it has nothing to do with how much they care, and it has nothing to do with resources. Let's talk about recruiting. 2015, Michigan finished 12th, 16th, they finished 10th, uh, I believe. And over the last five years, actually, Harbaugh's averaged around 8th or 9th nationally in recruiting. But their finishes have, don't match up to where they have, to where their recruits are. For example, in 2015, at the end of the season, they were ranked 12th. 16th, they ranked 10th. 2017, they were unfucking ranked. You have a top 10 recruiting class on average every year, but you actually finished the season two years ago unranked? So don't talk to me about recruits. Don't talk to me about talent. Don't talk to me about that. It has nothing to do with that. And then people are going to say to me, oh, well, Justin Fields also said that uh, Michigan doesn't care about the game as much as Ohio State cares about the game. Okay, yeah, he did say that, but that's just shit talking from a player. You know, they're probably still trying to figure it out too. But that isn't the reason why. They care just as much. They try just as much. They're just not good enough. And Shane Peterson, yeah, I'm going to call him Shane Peterson. I'm not calling him Shane Patterson. His name's Shane Peterson for, the, for this fucking show. Shane Peterson was a fucking five-star recruit that you guys got. What happened? How come he hasn't been developed? Justin Fields got here to Ohio State seven, eight months ago. and looks like fucking Superman of the world. So don't talk to me about recruiting and talent. This is about coaching this is about building a program. This is about motivation. This is about understanding what's at stake. It has nothing to do with anything else. And the last thing I'll say, Jim Harbaugh doesn't want to get up there and answer any questions. He, he doesn't want to answer your insults about why there's a gap. No, you fucking get up there and you answer the questions about why is there a gap between Ohio State and Michigan. Not just why you're losing, but why are you getting your face kicked in every fucking time you play Ohio State? You, you sit up there you're with your $7.5 million ass and you answer the fucking questions while your players are playing their heart out, 
trying to win this game, not getting paid for it. You're getting paid seven and a half million and you don't want to answer the questions. Fuck you. And fuck you, Michigan. I honestly don't like talking about losers, so I'm not going to add anything except for I hope they keep doing what they're doing. <laughs> no bucks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Real quick, I thought I was done, but I remember one thing that I forgot to say about the Michigan thing, and then I'll leave you guys alone. And that clip that we played earlier, they, they wanted to talk about academics and how Michigan is ac- academically superior, and they don't have the time to... The Harvard you know, of the Midwest. They don't have the time to dedicate to football because they're so focused on academics. <laughs> but then I just saw something that really interested me. Since Jim Harbaugh has been the head coach of Michigan, 2015, Ohio State has had five academic All-Americans. Five. One, two, three, four. Guess how many University of Michigan has had, V? Just guess. Take a wild guess. Two? <laughs> Less. One? Less. One half? Zero. <laughs> these motherfuckers you're talking about, these academic standards, they're so qualified, have zero. Even studying general studies? Even studying general <laughs> studies. Zero. Zero. It's a buzz office. Let's talk Lamar Jackson, V. Yeah, let's talk it. Okay. Lamar Jackson is the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Lighten up the NFL right now. He was a Heisman Trophy winner a few years back in a standout, quote-unquote, dual-threat quarterback at Louisville with amazing stats both passing and running, where he won a ton of games. He was a part of that 2018 draft class that everyone thought was loaded and was the fifth quarterback taken behind Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen. He's having the best season out of all of those guys, and the only one that's even close really right now is Josh Allen, even though Baker Mayfield did beat him head-to-head. I'm a Browns fan, so I have to mention that. Some people will say, though, well, he wasn't overlooked if he was drafted in the first round. But the reality is in the NFL, specifically if you're a quarterback, and if you're the fifth quarterback taken, even if in the first round you were overlooked, because teams reach for quarterbacks. And as the last pick in the first round, people were even wondering when he would even get taken. So V, let's talk about this. What happened? Why and how did Lamar Jackson end up in Baltimore? I'm going to start by saying as a Browns fan, this is particularly frustrating for me. Um, You know the conversations we've had from the entire draft process. I was saying Lamar Jackson, hands down, is the best quarterback in this draft. Mm -hmm. There's no one even close. Yeah. So when I started to read the draft profiles and the different analysts start talking about and breaking down Lamar Jackson, what bothered me was, are you guys even watching? Right. Right? Like, they're saying he's a mobile quarterback, he runs, he's a great athlete, but are you watching him play? Because if you watch Lamar Jackson play, and anybody who really watches the film, you see he's a quarterback first. Right. The, the numbers say that 
73% of his runs in college were designed runs. Mm. So that means that when he was in the pocket on pass plays, he was going through progressions. And the stats show that he was getting to his second and third progression, things that people look for and analysts are supposed to look for and say, hey, this quarterback has great potential. Right. His arm strength was the strongest in the draft. The guy can just flick the ball 40 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. Then they talked about his accuracy, right? 57% accuracy rate. But you look at Josh Allen's accuracy rate, 56% playing at Wyoming against who knows what DBs they were going (laughs) up against. And it just doesn't make sense. And also didn't, I I think I read something that said that uh, Lamar Jackson's receivers had like the highest drop rate or something like that. Drop rate. And throwaways. They didn't factor that into his completion rate. And at Louisville, there's always one standout receiver at Louisville, and you you pay attention to that program. But the rest of the talent around him wasn't that good, and you saw that in the second year too. But the fact that he's the only quarterback in NCAA history to throw for 3,500 yards and rush for 1,500 yards, I think his TD to interception ratio was 67 to 25. Yeah. All those numbers scream at you saying, look at this guy and take him because not only is he Michael Vick as a runner, Mm -hmm. but he's advanced as a passer and as a quarterback prospect. And he played quarterback his whole life. He's never played receiver, never been a running back. So to even make that statement, the person I lost the most respect for in this scenario was Bill Polian. Uh Uh-huh. Bill like, Polian is the former GM of uh, Indianapolis Colts. Highly regarded, highly respected. I respected him as well. But I felt like his analysis of Lamar Jackson was completely irresponsible. And it had a huge influence on his draft stock. This is a kid who did everything he could do in college to put himself to be a high draft pick. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about millions here. But I'm looking and saying, if the Browns took, maybe they would have ruined him too. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a Browns fan. So, but... it. <laughs> They could have drafted. They could have drafted him instead of Baker Mayfield. They complained about his height. Baker Mayfield's five eleven. It's just and how some, tall is Lamar Jackson? Six two. Okay. So there are just so many different. And nobody ever told Josh Allen to switch positions because he only had a fifty six percent completion ratio. So right. it's like, what happened here? And it just it just gets so, under. So my what? Skin. So what did happen? Because because I, I look at some of the, you know, some of the comments. Obviously, Bill Polian, you mentioned. Um, suggested that he move to wide receiver before the draft started. He wasn't the only one. I think uh, draft expert Mel Kuyper was also one of the people that suggested that he move to wide receiver. Uh, people weren't get, really giving him much of a chance. And, you know, there's obviously there's a, there's, a, there's a historical racial component to this thing, right? That You see an athlete like that, and typically, you know, historically they want to move you to wide receiver. They want to move you to running back. They don't think that you can either play quarterback because you're not, either not smart enough or – or you can't, you know, read the defenses or whatever, and and that that's part of this thing. But I guess I want to hear from you. What is it that you think that actually that actually did happen, and why did he get overlooked the way he got overlooked? Is it just that? Is it just what I just said, or is there more to it than that? Well, I mean, I think anytime we mention race today in America, people get uncomfortable, and I feel like we need to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? Like it exists. Mm-hmm. Racism exists. Cornelius, um, we'll talk about it a little bit later in the segment. Mm-hmm. But I actually went and researched this, and the Washington Post studied NFL draft profiles and found substantial racial differences in the language used to describe quarterback prospects. Mm -hmm. 
differences that are consistent with established racial stereotypes. They said white quarter, a white quarterback is more likely to be discussed by citing, quote, intangible internal qualities for which he himself is responsible. Mm-hmm. However, a black quarterback is more often viewed by his physical characteristics to be judged erratic and unpredictable and to have his successes and failures ascribed to outside forces. So what about the people who will say to you, well, Cam Newton was drafted first and Jameis Winston was drafted first and they're black. Why are you acting as if there's this huge bias when we have all these black quarterbacks throughout the league? Well, I think specifically what worked against against Lamar Jackson is what works in the favor of a lot of white quarterbacks. Alex Smith was drafted, what, number one overall Mm -hmm. as predominantly an athletic quarterback? Right. Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, they look like standard pocket passers. Mm-hmm. They're they're not looked at like Michael Vick or some of these other athletic quarterbacks, right? And I think what worked against Lamar specifically was that he's such a superhuman ha- athlete that people just assumed, okay, he's not a very good quarterback. He's just an athlete. Yeah, so to me, I view it as a kind of a combination of a stereotyping, obviously, um, laziness, and, and actually ineptness you know I was watching PTI the other day and they were going through all the head coaches in the NFL that were on the hot seat or who they think won't make it through the end of this year and it was literally like a third or a half of the head coaches in the NFL who they think won't make it and even Wilbon was saying how he thinks this is literally the as far as head coaches or even coaching is concerned in the NFL this is the worst period of time ever in the history of the sport in terms of the quality of coaching and it's so true because when you look at the, the coaches, and not just in the Lamar Jackson situation, but a number of situations, these the, the coaching is so bad. The decisions are bad. Coaches are very rigid in their ways. The way some coaches even get their jobs, being promoted or they knew someone or kind of that network that they're in that they didn't earn, that's how a lot of these coaches are actually getting jobs. And then here's the other thing when it comes to laziness, right? And this is one thing that I will give John Harbaugh, even though I just trashed his brother, I'll give John Harbaugh a lot of credit for is that he was willing to adjust and adapt his system to the skill set of Lamar Jackson. Joe Flacco used to be his quarterback. Lamar Jackson is his quarterback now. Those two systems that they're running are nowhere even close to the same. He was willing to say, I'm going to build a system around the talent that I have. And as a result, he's been successful with Joe Flacco, and he's also now successful with Lamar Jackson. That's not laziness. That's actually saying, taking his ego out of it and saying, I'm going to build around my players. The same, And that's the reason why Bill Belichick and the Patriots, hate them or love them, run circles around this league because the coaching is so bad. And I also want to give credit to, to Ozzie Newsome and, and Baltimore's general management team in general. It's just like I wish he was our GM as a, as a, as a Browns Hall of Famer, but the way they went about this, they knew Lamar was the best quarterback. They didn't bring him in for an interview. They let him fall to them and traded up when the opportunity presented itself, but they knew what he had and what everyone else was missing and being lazy about. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I guess all we can do now, like you said, is I think it's important to talk about these things and people don't get their panties in a bunch all the time. It's okay to talk through situations that deal with race. It's okay. In fact, talking about it a lot of times is, is what makes things actually get better. Um, right now the Ravens are actually sitting at 10 and two, 
they're at the top of the conference. They look like they're not going anywhere. They've beaten every good team in the league pretty much this yeah. year. Except for the Browns. The Browns beat them. And it's annoying as a Browns fan to watch it and to even talk about Lamar Jackson. But this is – Lamar Jackson is, has transcended now. This is pop culture. This is not just about football. It's not just about fanhood. This is about something bigger than that. And when we get back, we are going to talk to Cornelius Green, who was the first African-American quarterback – of Ohio State Buckeyes in the early 70s, and he's going to give us his insight on this entire Lamar Jackson situation, and you guys do not want to miss that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Spotify and follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Pilot Boys on YouTube. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Welcome back to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Our next guest is Cornelius Green, first African-American quarterback to play at Ohio State from 1973 to 1975. He was a starter, led Ohio State to an undefeated season in 1973, two-time All-Big Ten, All-American, Rose Bowl MVP, all the accolades. Also was the quarterback for two-time Heisman Trophy winner Archie Griffin. 1998, he was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame and now the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. Please welcome to the show, Cornelius Green. Hey guys, thank you so much. Um, this is a um, it's a blessing to to be on your on your guys' show, especially um, you know I, I I look at it intergenerational with me being the older generation generation and you guys being the younger generations and um, knowing your history and and coming to um, ask me to be on your guys' show is an honor. Oh, no, we appreciate it. Listen, this is a, a great honor for us. I've, obviously, we're big Buckeye fans, and you played before we were even born, but my parents to this day still talk about you and those runs and those teams in the 70s. So for us, this is this is amazing. And for them, they're, like, so excited. So this is awesome. And understanding understanding history is so critical to the present and the future, and I think everyone should should appreciate history as well. Absolutely. Thank so, you. Thank you. So we we're talking about Lamar Jackson a little bit. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we particularly we're talking about kind of his rise and and, you know, obviously what he's doing with the Baltimore Ravens, but also kind of what, you know, his draft status, for example, him being the fifth quarterback selected and people overlooking him and some people even suggesting that he should move to wide receiver. And so we wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, too, is kind of like. What was your impression when you when you first saw Lamar Jackson play, and what was your impression of kind of how he was being talked about during the draft process? Well, first of all, when I saw Lamar um, at the University of Louisville, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, um, the kid was a drop-back passer in addition to running the option perfectly. And um, my opinion, I thought he, he, he should have been one of the top two, if not the first quarterback drafting that great um, – quarterback draft um that just just went on um I, I was totally upset to hear some of the comments or the scouts comments about Lamar and talking and, and talking down about his skill level yeah I mean if you saw this kid when he went to Heisman he was just unbelievable I know the, the second year after the Heisman wasn't that outstanding as his first year that he wasn't a Heisman. Yeah. But I mean, um, I mean, he was just, when, when, when you went to see Lamar, you got your money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We haven't seen anything like that in a long time. No, I mean, I mean, he, he was truly something that we had never seen before. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, you know, you know, and in reading uh, your biography, 
I saw obviously you were a dominant dominant quarterback at the Ohio State University. You were the first African American quarterback to ever play there. But then I also saw that you were drafted to play wide receiver. So it sem- seems as though there's a lot of overlap there. Talk to us about that and, and what that time was. Well, you know, you know, America and, and they, back in my day, there were 17 rounds, and now you only have seven. Mm. So I was drafted in the 11th round. So if it was a day's time, I'd have been a free agent. I wouldn't even <laughs> been drafted, right, right. you know? And so I was really upset about that. You know, I thought I did everything that was asked of me as a quarterback. But, you know, um, our style of ball was obviously running the ball. But, you know, um, um, you you had um, Richard Todd um, back in the day, and this name probably don't ring a bell to you guys, but he was a quarterback at Alabama, and and they ran the wishbone, and and he got drafted first round. Mm. So, I mean, but, but of course, Richard's white, and and I'm African-American, but Mm. you put two quarterbacks who were all Americans, you put two quarterbacks, one black, one white, and the running uh, offenses that he was in Alabama and he go first round, but but he's not considered a running quarterback. You know he's considered a quarterback, right. and so um, they're always going to put those limitations on us. But one great thing I like about Lamar Jackson is that he was very much like me. He didn't let coaches' opinions bother him. If a coach thought he was not a quarterback, he moved on. Right. He went to where he thought a quarterback, I mean a quarterback coach thought he was great. Mm-hmm. And, and Louisville's coach thought he was great. And obviously Baltimore moved up in the draft to draft this guy, and they thought he was great. Right. So he's proving everybody wrong. But you, you you know as an athlete, you know a coach's opinion is only opinion. Right. And, and what some athletes do is start believing what that coach's opinion of them is. Yes. And and if that coach's opinion is negative, you don't let that get in your head. Right. You know you you move on. You say no, nah, I'm not, I'm not believing what this guy thinks I am. Sure. You yeah. know, and, and I think that's what makes Lamar so good because. He's proving all these guys wrong right now, That's and, and he's him, on man. top. Yeah, and and but you gotta love his spirit. And he's doing it humbly. He's not that kind. He's not that Cam Newton type quarterback, you know, where where all eyes are on me. You know, all eyes are on him. But his teammates love him, and and, and um, he he's not that 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 type of guy who who wants to take all the credit as well. Right. So, you know, and that's one thing I love about Lamar is, is he's, you know, like he's a humble superstar and he, he has a quiet yes. confidence about himself. He knows what his skill set and his abilities are. And you're right. He he hasn't let that um, limit him. And, you know, the beautiful thing is that he's also found an organization and a coach that believes in him. And but one thing I want to transition to a little bit is I want to mm-hmm. I want to talk about your time at, at Ohio State and not just Ohio State, but kind of the landscape of college football in that time period, right. early 70s, you know, being the first African-American quarterback at Ohio State, you know, with, you know, high expectations, but also a lot of racism and, and stereotyping and so on and so forth. What was that period like for you? And then also coming from Washington, D.C. to Columbus, Ohio, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I started with coming from D.C. back in the 70s. You know, we, we was considered, um, no doubt, Chocolate City. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we was a big <laughs> African-American um, um, town. Right. And, 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 and so coming here um, at Ohio State, you probably wouldn't believe that. We only had 500 African-Americans out of 50,000 students. Wow. So we was only a half of 1% Jeez. of the student body. <laughs> if you can visualize that, because wow. you guys go there, you know, you can see how the campus 
it's shaped now. Yeah. So um, um, I signed to come here. And in 1972, me, Archie, and Woodrow Roach, it was only three African-Americans that Ohio State signed in, in the 1972 class oh out of 18 guys. So, um, of course, when the word got out that Ohio State had an African-American quarterback, the letters started flying in from the Klan and all. I was averaging 50 to 100 letters a week. Wow. Uh, uh, racial, racial hate mail. Um, I would answer the phone and um, get death threat calls. Um, so, and, and the N word was used quite a bit as well. Yeah, but I mean, I, I was from DC, so I mean, I, I grew up in a town where, when I was nine years old in 1963, I just I grew up about five blocks from the Capitol, and all these people were came to DC protesting August 28, 1963, and I followed. Them. I was nine years old, and, and that's when Martin Luther King gave his I had a dream speech. So I was out in that crowd as a little kid, wow, wow. but I, I didn't I didn't realize that I I will be practicing his principles, you know, as as um, nonviolent wow. type of approach would, 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 is the way to win versus you know um, maybe using Malcolm X um, style of approach being a little more vigilant. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, when I was 18, so I, I I remember being out there hearing him speak. And, and, and I remembered his approach, so I thought the silent approach was the best approach, and I didn't let the press know what what I was going through. Right. And Archie would answer the phone many of times, and people thought he was me, and so he heard it personally as well. Mm. So I mean, it was a tough time, guys. But you know, my freshman year, um, I, I um, developed an ulcer, you know, um, because of that type of pressure. In addition to playing football, is enough pressure, um, to let alone to add that pressure on on top of it. And then being away from home, too, um, kind of added on a as well. So um, my first game, we played Minnesota um, um, here at home. Yeah. And the first five times we had the ball, we scored. So we, we won 56-7. And, and uh, man, I, I haven't gotten a letter since. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you shut them up, right? That's how you shut them up. Yeah, there you go. You know, so so winning, I guess winning cures all. You know, so, man, I, 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 I never got any racial things at all. But, you know, the other good side was my teammates, black and white, man. We, we were all teammates. Yeah. And, and that was a good thing for me to learn. But I'm learning, too, because, you know, I'm coming from Washington, D.C., where we was like 95% African-American city. So um, elementary, junior high, and high school, I went to schools that were at least 98% all African-American. So here's the first time that, that now I'm the minority on, on the football team. So there was a lot for me to learn as well, and, and I'm glad I had that learning experience. Sure. Yeah. And how was the support system for you? Obviously, this is a tough time. It was also Woody recruiting the first black quarterback. Did you guys have conversations well, you know, about the, this? The, the support, I would say my support system was really good because, you know, football is like a fraternity, and, and, and you you spend so much time with, with the guys. And, and so uh, once I've learned how to um, adjust my time and, and, and things like that, um, was really good. But, but in, in terms of... Um, Blending in as a student was tough. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you go to these big classes and, you know, maybe one or two African-Americans out of maybe, you know, 60, 70 kids in class was, was, was kind of intimidating. You right. said there were, so, there were how know, many on I, the my, my first two years, was, was, I was very intimidated, 
just in terms of going to school. And then you're a little more intimidated when everybody in class know who you are. Right. And you don't know anybody else. Right. So you, you know how that might be at Mecca. You know everybody know you play football. Right. Right. And, and, and then they're going to look at you a little differently. Yeah. Uh, we were looked at a little differently anyway because we was on scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, right. right. Yeah. You know, when you look at everybody else, somebody else can be on scholarship, but you don't know they're on scholarship. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know? Right. So, so you're, stuck, you're sticking out like a sore thumb, man. So, so let me talk. Let me talk. Uh, you got to go through that as well. Let me, let me ask you another question, too. Um, yeah. Slightly off the subject. You know, you you obviously play big Division One ball, and and you you've seen it grow. You've seen the product grow from the early '70s to what it is now. Now it's yeah. you know full stadiums, full you know money everywhere, right? And and right. sponsors and endorsements and everything, and uh, endorsements of the program. What do you think it uh, should happen with you know the the athletes, the scholar athletes, so to speak, uh, when it comes to being able to get paid or being able to make money off their likeness? How do you view that issue, especially seeing it grow from well, where, where it was? Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, let's let's say this. You know, I was the first to wear the number seven to make it as popular as it is, <laughs> and Archie made forty-five popular. Right. And you know, me and Archie didn't even have a number. So we couldn't even afford our own jerseys. Wow. And, and, and here, and here, you go to every department store. They they selling out number seven jerseys. They our likeness, and they selling out forty-fives. Mm-hmm. And, and and guess what? We got a quarter every three months. Mm-hmm. We got nine dollar check for our laundry. Wow. We got $9 every three months for our laundry. Mm. And and here I went to four straight Rose Bowls, and my parents couldn't even afford to come see me play. Yeah. Wow. So I played four Rose Bowls, and I'm an MVP in a Rose Bowl game. And here my parents from D.C. couldn't even come out and afford to come out and see me play. Mm. So, yeah, I'm all in, I'm all in for at least giving these kids some money so their parents can come see them play. Right. But they should have a stipend. Yeah. I mean, because right now it's just ridiculous the money Ohio State is making. Because when Woody was here, he would never let Subway or beer being sold in that arena. Mm. I mean, Woody was totally against any outside vendors outside of Ohio State making any money off of Ohio State or sharing revenue um, like that, you know, naming rights and things like that. Woody was totally against all that stuff. And now that's all we do. Right. right. And, 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 you know... I think it's hard for a coach making five million dollars trying to tell tell a kid about education. You know, you don't have any money, man. And, and then you got the Chase Young, who's from DC area. He went to Dematha, where my son went to school at Dematha, yeah. and, and he's got to borrow money, you know, to, to get his girlfriend to go see him play in the Rose Bowl, and then he gets suspended for two games. And I'm thinking if someone borrows money from a family member, it's none of the school's business. Right. I, I, I 100% agree with you. I, and, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, I, I, I'm V and I are in 100% agreement. And on the show, we're going to talk about that a lot and kind of expose kind of the, the hypocrisy behind the NCAA. And so it's awesome to hear your, your opinion on it as well as someone who was one of the pioneers of kind of developing this game. But we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, I know we don't sure. have an, enough time, and so we're going to lighten the load a little bit uh, and ask you a couple questions that are kind of fun that we, we ask everybody who comes on the show. They have to answer these two questions. So the sure. first question I'll ask you is, give us your top five athletes of all time. So And, and that could just be the top five guys or, or females who, who have influenced you either now or even throughout your career when you were playing. Well, one one guy you probably never heard of is from my neighborhood because you know no no one from my neighborhood 
ever went anywhere in Willie Woods, um, um, played for the Green Bay Packers, played in the first two Super Bowls, um, um, was was lived right down the street. So yeah. as I was coming up as an athlete, everybody would say, oh, you're going to be like Willie Woods. So, mm-hmm. you know, he was my first kind of person that I looked up to. Okay. And then I, I would say um, uh, O.J. Simpson, if you can believe that. You mm-hmm. know, I was a big O.J. Simpson fan mm-hmm. because I used to watch the Rose Bowls and, of course, USC back in the day were, were, were in the Rose Bowl. I never thought I would be playing right. um, in the Rose Bowl. And then, you know, I always go back, you know, since I'm 65, you know, like Will Chamberlain and mm-hmm. Bill Russell. Yeah. You know, those those, those type of uh, people were, were my influence. Um, you know, quarterbacking, you know, there, there was no one of my color um, that, that I could relate to. But Fran Tarkington was probably uh, a scrambling type quarterback right. in the NFL, which was very unusual. So I would say those guys, just, just off the top of my head. Yeah, no, that's great. And you said you were from Chocolate City, so I know you know your music as well. So who are your top, yeah, five, yeah. top five musicians or artists of all time? Well, Marvin Gaye is my number one because he's a D.C. Yes. <laughs> he's a D.C. person yes. for sure. You know, I, I grew up in the Motown era, and, and, and so all, all those great Motown groups, you know, the Temptations and, um, the spinners, um, um, female groups like the Supremes. Um, but my top entertainer is, is always going to be like James Brown, because even though James Brown back when we was coming up, you know, he had records like say it loud and I'm black and I'm proud, Mm -hmm. which, which, which brought a lot of pride to the black community. Mm -hmm. And and before you guys were, were born the 68 riots, which you don't know much about when, when, when the whole United States was in destruction, um, James Brown had to come out to D.C. and stop and, and stop people from burning the town down. I remember that. So he was he 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 was very influential and, and politically motivated. And I don't think he realized his political power he had that he shown us. But uh, um, that's that's from the music realm. But but from a spiritual realm, I would always say like Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because I I mean I imagine obviously. Like you said, you were there during that time period. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I actually want to talk to you about also before we, we let you out of here, I know you have to go, is what you're doing now. Because it seems as though from, you know, just my in- interactions with you, it seems as though you have kind of a, uh, a big heart, number one, and then number two, kind of a desire to kind of give back to the next generation. So, you know, talk to us a little yes. bit about what you're doing now, and uh, we'll get you out of here on that. Sure. I, I, I'm at St. Albans School, and the reason why I'm at St. Albans School, just to back up a little bit, back when we were all freshmen, Woody Hayes always kind of told us that uh, we were very blessed to be who we are. So he used to put us in a van, guys, and, and we had to go over to the Children's Hospital two or three times a week mm-hmm. and spend time with sick kids. So the, I was paying for it, didn't even realize I'm paying for it, you right. know, at, at that point in time. Yeah. And then when I became very popular, uh, um, some kids with cancer. I was a favorite player, but they only had two weeks to live. And, you know, I, I went over there and, and dealt with the kids, and then you find out the kids' mom would call you and said, hey, we thank you so much, Cornelius, for being in this life. But, I mean, he went out with a smile. So I, I know me and Archie did that over 40 or 50 times, yeah. you know, 
during our career. So that brings me back to St. Albans. So, you know, I'm coaching here at St. Albans School here in Washington, D.C. area, um, mentoring um, young kids. So this is my 10th year here. So, um, you know, this is my last job I have. So uh, uh, paying for it has is, is always been um, my pet peeve. That, that's that's amazing. Uh, right. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. You, you know, we are so blessed to have a guest like you. You shed even greater light than than what I imagined. Got a history lesson today that was that was awesome. Uh, thanks, V. Thanks, Mecca, man. You know, and, and look, I, I apologize that my time is short today because I'm sub-teaching here at St. Albans, but I would love to come back on, man, and, and spend a little bit more time with you guys. So, Absolutely. Feel free, feel free to, to, to reach back out to me, okay? Absolutely. Definitely. Will, man. Take care. Have a good day. You too. All right, dude. Take care. All right, my take friend. care. All right, we'll be right okay. back. Okay. All right, Mecca. Blessings. Welcome back to the Pilot Boys Podcast. A couple quick news and notes. Shout out to the LA Chargers coach Anthony Lynn and his wife Stacy Bell for opening up a school in Tanzania. They saw a need and went and fixed it. For Jay-Z's 50th birthday, his entire album collection is back on Spotify after previously only being available on Tidal. Sagittarius season. Tell us what album you would listen to first. Hit us up at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter. Shout out to Ryan Day for being named Big Ten Coach of the Year. Believe it or not, it's the first time in 40 years that an Ohio State head coach was named Big Ten Coach of the Year. Wow. The last one to do it was Earl Bruce in 1979. And Complex released its top 10 rappers of the 2010s. The top three were Drake, Kendrick Lamar, and Kanye West. Where is J. Cole? Hit us up on, on um, excuse me, hit us up at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter. Let us know if you agree or disagree who you would put in your top three. So let's talk some fantasy football real quick. <laughs> so as the fantasy football gods would have it, fantasy football playoffs start this weekend. And guess who I matched up against this weekend? Fucking V. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Fuck. not happy about that looking at your team, though. Yo, V, V, you know, first of all, V and I are, are fantasy football gurus, both of us, okay? And we win championships. That's what we do. Last year, I think V beat me in the semifinals, actually, before yeah, he went man. on and slaughtered the dragon to win the championship. But this year, we're, we're matched up in the first round. And so I want to list my team. V's going to list his team. And I want you guys to holler at us on social media, at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter. Let us know who you think has the advantage. Let us know who you think is going to win. Okay, so here's my team. This is a 12-team league, but we developed some beastie teams. Here's my team. Matt Ryan at quarterback. I got Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley, both of them as my running backs. My wide receivers are Julio Jones and Tyreek Hill. My flex could be either Debo Samuel, Curtis Samuel, or Terry McLaurin. And my tight end is Evan Ingram if he's healthy. Or if not, I got Mike Gesicki. And, yeah, and that's it. So I, I like my squad. I mean, my squad's projected to put up a lot of points. You got a solid team with a bunch of stars on it, man. I, yeah, but we got injuries we got to work through. All right, well, say your team, V. I got Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones. Leonard Fournette, DeAndre Hopkins, mm. Devontae Parker, who has been a steal. Who I traded to him like an idiot. 
Mark Andrews, the 49ers defense, and I don't know his first name, but M. Gay from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Matt, I think his name is Matt. And, and you that, got some bench players too, right? Yeah, I got Robert Woods, right? And then Will Fuller, and then somebody who might be big this week is I've got Alexander Madison. I held on to him right. in that trade for Dalvin Cook. And if he starts, I'm playing him. So what I'm what I'm hoping this week is that V has too much talent on his bench, and I'm hoping that he just his head gets confused and he makes the wrong decision and starts the wrong guy. But V, real quick before we get out of out of this segment, tell people actually how you actually got into the playoffs because it's crazy. I started the season zero and four, then ended up one and five, then went to two and six, and then streaked my way into the into the playoffs at seven and six. I just won out. Now I'm in the playoffs. So and V's the hottest team. He the last couple of weeks he's put up I think high score probably every week. And of course, uh, the interesting thing is that if Dalvin Cook gets two more points, doesn't get hurt, I get matched up against a totally different team. And of course, that happened. And now I got to play V. So yeah, let us know at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter. Let us know who you think is going to win this matchup. And I'm sure you're going to hear about it next week. Hey guys, love the Pilot Boys podcast? Well, then support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1, and we have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast and show some love today. Welcome back to the Pilot Boys Podcast. We're going to talk some Big Ten football this weekend. Big Ten Championship, Ohio State, who just beat Michigan really badly, and Wisconsin, who just beat Minnesota equally as badly, are going to face off again in the Big Ten Championship this Saturday. We're going to bring in our resident college football insider, Zach Smith, former Ohio State wide receivers coach and podcast host of Menace to Sports. Everybody welcome in Zach Smith. Woo! Appreciate you having me. Zach, what's up? Nothing, man. You have a good Thanksgiving? Really good. How about you guys? It was great. It was good, man. Good, good. And uh, obviously, as an Ohio State fan, watching that drubbing of Michigan is always a great way to cap off the weekend, you know? It was an unbelievable game. Unbe- yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, so let's jump right into it, man, because, you know, the Big Ten Championship is this weekend. Uh, Ohio State is ranked number one in the country. Wisconsin is ranked number eight. It uh, seems to be a good game, objectively speaking, right? But the question that I have for you, at least to start off, is, you know, Ohio State played Wisconsin earlier this season, and they beat them really badly. I think the score was 38-7. to And so now they have to play them again. And I think, you know, when you're dealing with young kids – who, you know, who are influenced by that. They they remember that game. They remember that they dominated that team. How do you get them motivated again to play a team like that after they crushed a team like that early in the season? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on uh, the side of the ball. It depends on the position group. I know I talked to Austin Mack and uh, a couple of the other players on offense. And the cool thing about the Big Ten Championship game, especially at Ohio State, different than the South, is – I mean, these the receivers, Justin Fields, they are, I mean, drooling right now because they're going to go from cold and rainy games and, and maybe had to run the ball 61 times against Wisconsin to win. Right. And now they're like, shit, the, the chains are coming off, man. We're in a dome. It's yeah. going to be like 70 degrees in there right. on turf. It's yeah. like you're, you're going to see a track meet this time as, as opposed to last time where it was like shitty weather, just kind of grind it out, figure out how to win. So that, that's one side of it. You're going to see a very different game because – the elements are completely removed. Yeah, and the other part is, uh, so that's going to be motivating. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the the end result, the the playoffs. If, if this was a game where you said, all right, both teams are nine and three, 
Big Ten championship on the line. They already beat them. You could see maybe an overlooking of Wisconsin. Right. But a trip to the playoffs, I mean, you're talking about this is everything's to play. Everything is in front of them. Everything's there to play for. Um, now, it's a very different dynamic because you go into a game not knowing what the other team's plan is going to be to defend you or to uh, attack you on defense. And right. so you never fully know. You have an idea based on what they've done in the past. Yeah. Now you're going into a game and say, all right, this was their plan. Yeah. And you go back and watch it and say, this was what they thought they could do against us. Right. Now now it's like a game of psychology, game of chess. It's like, all right, yeah. what is their plan going to be now that that plan either worked or didn't work? Right. It's, like, it's right. like now you're going like next level psychology. Yeah. Right. So that's why it's so hard to beat a team twice. You see in the NFL, sometimes three times in the NFL. Yeah. And um, I've actually never done it in my career. I've never had to play a team a second time. Mm-hmm. But it's... Uh, it's a tall task. It's really hard to do. So do you, do you actually save plays? Like, obviously, you don't know if you're going to play the same team again. But is that something that actually happens throughout the throughout the season? Is that you say, you know what, there's there's a certain package or certain packages that we're not even going to show throughout the regular season that we won't bring out until until the playoffs or until the Big Ten? No, not usually. I mean, there will be uh, just naturally there will be certain things that Ohio State's worked on all year they haven't either had to use or the opportunity didn't come up and so there's things that they've worked on all year that they haven't shown like double reverse <laughs> right I mean there's, there's trick plays and even I mean you look at any game plan I mean I, I think I've done studies after studies when I was coaching just w- w- what we call it overage like the amount of your game plan that you had that you loved that you just didn't get to you didn't mm-hmm. call it and, and depending on the staff some are much higher than others but there's probably, I'll say, 30% of their game plan against Wisconsin, probably higher because of the weather, where they just didn't get to it. Right. And so now they're going to take that and say, we love this. Mm-hmm. We didn't show this. Let's apply it. We, we put it. I mean, it's in. We right. already have it in. Right. Quick, quick question. For Ohio State specifically, right, you play Michigan, mm-hmm. which is the game. Is it hard not to exhale a little bit, even the coaches and the players, just even for a couple of days? Uh, it, after after a win like that, it, it all- is. It, it's 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 hard in regular season play. Um, you see it. You've seen it a lot too many times uh, over Ohio State's last whatever handful of years, where there's a letdown game, a la Iowa in 2017. And um, the 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 good thing they have going for them right now is is the championship aspect, because I used mm-hmm. to tell my players all the time, and they they didn't ever fully understand it until you walk in the building on Friday for a walkthrough. But they'll get to Indianapolis, go do a walkthrough in the stadium on Friday. And I don't know how to explain it other than you walk into the stadium and it just feels so different. Like you feel an aura. You feel this like your the hair stand up on your arms. And yeah. it's like you walk in and you're like, whoa, shit, this right. is woo, this is different. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. I get chills just even talking about yeah. it. Because so it's it's gonna be really hard to have a letdown this week. Yeah. Because they're gonna they're one, Ryan Day and Mickey Marotti are, are absolutely just building this up. Championship week. I mean, all week is gonna feel different. Yeah. And then when they show up in Indianapolis, it's gonna feel so different. I, lo- I love going to that, that game. That stadium oh, is yeah. special. Oh, it is. Right when you walk in, you know, you know something big is about to happen. And there's something about we had it in the SEC also when I was at Florida because we played in Atlanta at the what was what the older the old Falcon Stadium, yeah, um, and it's just something different. You play outdoors all the time, you know. You're, you no one really plays in a dome nowadays, right. and you go in and it's like NFL Stadium yeah. in a dome, and it's like this just feels different. Right. Like it's like a bowl game or it's like a playoff. Well, interestingly enough, you know, I think you and you mentioned this earlier. Ohio State. I don't even think we've played in a in a, a dome this year or that, that type of atmosphere. And one of the I think considerable advantages that Ohio State has, particularly in the Big Ten is speed. And when you play in those dome 
you know, in those dome environments, that speed shows up big time. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, is Ohio State really, are they in a different stratosphere than all the other teams in the Big Ten at least? Because when you watch them, first of all, they're dominating like no other. I think historically they have one of the greatest win differentials in, in the history of college football. And you're watching them against top 10, top 15 teams, and they're just dominating. Is this one of the best teams that you've seen? Is this Tell us about this team specifically. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State, uh, just since Urban got into the Big Ten, just recruited on a different level than anyone else in the conference. And um, other teams have almost caught up. I mean, they, they've definitely elevated their their level of recruiting. So the talent gap is not huge. And so it's, it's obviously a scenario where they can get beat. Yeah. It's not like it's Clemson versus, you know, Syracuse. Right. Where it's just so drastic that they're not going to win. Right. I mean, but it, it, it's a different level. And, and what I've seen out of this team is it's probably the most well-coached and maximized team at Ohio State that I've seen since 2014. Mm-hmm. And it's it's phenomenal to watch. You take, you take that talent level at Ohio State, and then you talk about – Coached at the highest level, yeah. maximized, playing motivated. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's a great mix. I mean, you're talking about there's one or two teams in the country that's going to hang with this team if they keep playing like it. Right. And so it's interesting because, you know, Wisconsin, I think I saw something that said they've, out of all the Big Ten teams, they've had the most appearances in the Big Ten championship game. And part of that to me, obviously, is I look at the alignment of the divisions, right? And you see on one side, you have Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. And then Wisconsin, on their side, they have Nebraska, Iowa, maybe Purdue. You know, how do you feel about the conference alignment? How, did you guys talk about that when you were coaching? Is that something that you guys had any input on or any discussions on or anything? Uh, we we shouldn't, certainly didn't have any input. <laughs> right. And, and for, I guess, unfortunately, I was there through the uh, the creation of divisions and the absolute disaster of legends and leaders yeah. and just like, it's just bizarre stuff. Yeah. But um, it's it's... It's tough because they try to do it regional. Mm. And unfortunately, the Eastern region in the Big Ten is much stronger than the Western region right now. Right. I mean, you talk about historically, like if you went back to the 90s, right. you'd say the West is ridiculous. Yeah, Nebraska, Nebraska right. Wisconsin. I mean, it's right. just outrageous. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, I don't know, unless they go away from regionally grouping the teams or the West gets better. Yeah. It's well, just- the, well, the underlying motivation is obviously the TV deals, mm-hmm. right? Having. Having those teams on the same side and on the East Coast, getting those East Coast ratings, that's why they put uh, Maryland, I believe, in in our on our side of the bracket. Oh yeah, as well as it's you see that okay, but for Ohio State, I don't I don't think it matters because we're better than everyone else. Well, I think so. The money thing is interesting though, because if you had theoretically, if you were to have Michigan on the other side of the bracket, then you could see the Ohio State Michigan game again, and that would probably even draw more money. That's true. So it's it's interesting. But money obviously plays into it, which actually is a great segue to kind of one of my next questions, which is the money, right? Let's talk money because I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot in college football discussions is money. It's like almost taboo to talk about it, but we know it fucking exists, right? So from a coach's perspective, you're going, you know, into a game like last week, for example, or maybe a, a few weeks ago against Penn State, and you know if you lose this game, you may not go to the Big Ten Championship, and that can have a rollover effect into a, a number of other things. How much, as a coach, do you actually think about the bonuses that are upcoming or the money that's upcoming? Like, I know you have a job to do, but it is a job, just like everyone else. We all think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's definitely an afterthought. I mean, you know it's coming. You know it's going to be a, a substantial check. Yeah. And so it's not really that relevant in your present mind, but – 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I promise you when, when these coaches go on the road recruiting after the game Saturday, they'll probably leave Sunday or Monday morning. They'll get on a plane at some point that week and might say, you know what? Let me pull up my contract and see what this is about to look like. Yeah. Because you're talking about, I mean, some of these coaches are going to get $100,000 checks just in a bonus. Just for, win- for winning the game or just for appearing in the well, game? Well, it, it, it's it's always tiered. You know, like if you if you make it to the Big Ten Championship game, you'll get a half a month salary. If you win it, you get the other half month. And then you make the playoffs. That's another. So you're talking about anywhere from two to four months pay. Wow. And, and now you're talking about a coach that makes 500 grand a year, four, yeah. four months pay. That's yeah. that's ridiculous. Right. I mean, that's more than two people make nationally average combined you 100%, know, in yeah. one check. Yeah. And um, I think I did it. I, I talked about it on my show a while back um, when Michigan played Michigan State in 20, well, it must have been 2016 or 17. Mm-hmm. 2017. Um, Michigan fumbled the snap. Michigan State, or, uh, Took it back for a touchdown to win the game. You know, yeah. it's an epic, epic play yeah. at the end of a game. And it cost the Ohio State staff $1.8 million in bonuses Jeez. just because they lost that game. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could blame. Oh, this is 2015. It must have been 2015. Either way. 2015. Either yeah. way. Um, yeah. Because we lost to Michigan State. And then because they beat Michigan on the last play of the game, they ended up going over us. Right. And so we were out of the playoffs. And I think it was $1.8 million. Yeah. That's, that's just in bonuses. Yeah. Yeah. Does that. Does that um, the money aspect of this thing and playing an extra game um, when you're going into the playoffs as well? How do you think these championship games affect the overall health and wellness of the team, and if it's too many games? Yeah, I mean it. It depends on the team. For Wisconsin, probably pretty significant. For Ohio State, most of their teams played half games. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're right. talking about they played 12 games. Nah, not really. Yeah, not really. Right. Chase Young plays played what? Let's see. Sat out two. He played so he played four four full games. Right. Eight half games. Right. <laughs> like right. What, yeah. So uh, now Wisconsin certainly has played more more four quarter games. So it's taxing. And anytime you add a game, um, it's it's going to increase the probability of an injury. But I mean, these kids are also a lot of them a year away from going to play sixteen to eighteen to twenty-two games, mm-hmm. um, and so they, it's something they got to get used to. But it's uh, it's definitely an added risk for sure. So, does, does Ohio State get in with a win or loss? Yeah, here? I mean, unless they get blown out by forty, then they, they then they might be out. But I I think they're in. It's it's at this point, it's about uh, the getting the one seed to get that advantageous matchup to get to get that I guess easier game to get to the finals right is where where they're at right now yeah and so I guess you know I want to get you out of here in a second but one of the things I we talked about earlier in the show on my rant against Michigan is them them talking about kind of academic their quote-unquote academic standards and how they can't compete with us not caring Ohio State not caring on the shit and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. it. To me, it's straight bullshit, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on it since you're obviously a coach and you yeah. dealt with you know the student-athlete aspect of stuff. Well, I mean, there's so many different levels to this. And, and I'll, I'll ask you this question. You are two, two very highly educated individuals. Have you ever taken an online class? Yeah. Of yes. Co- of okay, I've yeah. taken a couple, and they were the hardest classes I ever took. 100%. Because it's so much more about your own personal accountability, do, getting your stuff done. And the professor doesn't fucking care. Like, no, you still got to do the work. Like, like <laughs> you miss an assignment that you miss the assignment, you get a zero. Well, right. and the reality yeah. is college professors don't really care Anyways, but at least there's a face with a name and you can talk to them and maybe like get an extra day or get some extra credit. There's a relationship. And in online classes, it's like, oh, you got a 70? You got a 70. Sorry. So that was the first bizarre thing. It's like, 
it's not like these online classes are just like cakewalk classes. Right. These are hard. And yes. Joshua Perry was talking about it. He's, those are the hardest classes that my players 100%, 100%. took. 100%. Uh, that's yeah. the first part. And the other part is just the hypocrisy yeah. of Michigan because, I mean, I'm, I'll go back to Florida days, 2005 on. They've always had the national reputation of being a joke academically for athletes. Because it's a very, very highly accredited degree. Yeah. Um, they definitely, maybe they don't have online classes, I guess. I guess that's their the argument, right. which I'm sure is not the case. Right. But these kids aren't getting a business degree from Michigan. Mm-hmm. These kids are getting general studies degrees. Like, what the fuck do you do with a general <laughs> studies degree? <laughs> right. Like, literally, exactly. you, go, you go to a job interview. Yeah. You two both own businesses. Yeah. I walk in and, I, and they're like, oh, what's your expertise? I'm like, uh, general shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you... Do you have any jobs that are like for general things? I'm really good like, at general things. I'd like, get your general ass out. <laughs> right. Like, what are we talking about? I can about? play football. Right. It's like, oh, Justin Fields took some online classes. That's great. Yeah. Your players are graduating with zero value. And when they're done playing, they're going to be in, in a really poor position to, to build a life because they don't have any value in their degree. And that's part of the sad thing, uh, you know, for me, just looking at this. Even, you know, as, a, uh, as an Ohio State fan, it's still sad to me to see kind of what these guys are going through and kind of the expectations that we place on them and then the shit that we talk about them. But yet we don't want to acknowledge the fact that they're like, they don't have, a lot of these guys don't have time. Like I was, we were talking to Chimdi on the show last week. He's like, listen, I didn't have time. This was my full-time job. You guys don't want to acknowledge that. The, the public doesn't want to acknowledge that this was my full-time job, but this was my fucking full-time job. But you, you know, there are classes when I was there, I remember there were classes I wanted, chemistry classes or labs that I wanted to take. That I could not take because those labs were scheduled at th- for three thirty. Absolutely, and we had to have all of our classes scheduled before two o'clock so we could go to practice. Yep. So I couldn't take the course. Yep. I wasn't allowed to take the course. People don't talk about that side of things too, and so I think people get a little bit carried away with with this discussion about student athlete stuff, but they don't really want to go dig deeper into what's really happening. These guys are there to play football. You can definitely take advantage of the circum of the circumstances as best as you can, but not the way people like to portray it. What's what's disappointing to me really is that we get this bad rep. Ohio State gets this bad rep. And Zach, you know, with Urban coming in and, and the effort that the program makes to make sure the players are prepared for life on the field and off the field. If you can talk a little bit about that just to well, and that's the I could it's the most hypocritical excuse I've ever heard. Uh for a number of reasons. What you just said and and you if you took the celebrity status of these athletes out of the picture mm-hmm. and you said, man, this person has a platform that they could build to build a brand or a personal image for the future. And so they need to invest equal time or maybe more time in that personal brand as they do their classwork mm-hmm. to build a, a future, a life. Anyone in the world, you like you, you're you were in music or yeah. are in music. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, you have this career. You should spend a lot of time on that because people like it, and mm-hmm. now you're going to build a brand, right? And it's, people would have no problem with that. Like, oh man, he's a he's a student and a musician, exactly. And he spends a lot of time on music, and yep. it's like everyone would be like, "Wow, good for him, man. Yes. He's really look at it. That's 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 a double a dual threat, yeah. And it's exactly. like, oh, it's football. It's like, ah, you just want to play football. It's like, what? Whoa, whoa, yeah. it's like, unreal. It's unreal, unreal. And and Ohio State um, had really. I mean, they advanced the country on off-the-field development. Uh, you see it everywhere now. Everyone has programs to help their student-athletes, uh, you know, secure a career, secure secure a future. And Ohio State was in Urban Meyer were on the forefront of that. Mm-hmm. It started back at Florida really towards the end, and it exploded at Ohio State, this real-life Wednesdays, where, I mean, you're talking about these kids are spending time. They, they take football time in the spring. 
I'm talking about you get a very, very limited amount of football time. They take an hour to two hours a week away from football and use that time for real-life development, real-life skills, internship placements, building networks, yeah. things like this. And it's like... And these so, are big companies. I mean, I remember I mean, a couple t- years, these guys were going to New York, Goldman Sachs, they were interning. They oh. had guys from American Express coming in. I mean, this is big, big-time shit. This isn't just like some fake... Pro- internships that kids dream of having. Oh, yeah. it, it, internships that no one can get. I mean, you're talking about f- flying kids to or- Oregon to work at Nike for, you know, three weeks or yeah. four weeks to do a mini internship. Like, that's invaluable. Yeah. And so people want to talk about an online class. Let, right. I mean, let, these kids, if anything, if I'm Michigan, I'm saying these, they just beat the shit out of us. And they had 20 less hours in the spring for football. Yeah. Man, we, we, we didn't even get it done and we had more time to work. So let me ask you, let me ask you this question. I guess we'll get you out of here on this question. Obviously, you know, the Big Ten Championship is coming up and that's a big game. But for us on this show, we want to talk about other, you know, we yeah. want to talk about those things, but we also want to talk about the kind of the bigger picture, right? Yeah. And so my question to you is, how do you see this thing 10, 20 years from now? How do you see, co- what is the college football going to look like? Because the reality is, is that there's a lot of money involved. And we talk about this in, in, in another show. When capitalism is involved and money is involved and opportunities are involved, people start getting greedy, right? People's eyes start getting big. And they want to expand the playoffs because there's more, you know, they act like it's about excitement, but there's more money. And they want to expand you know, just like in the NFL, they want to expand the regular season games and all that type of stuff. And so you know that changes are going to come. Unless there's a, a counter movement, which I don't see, changes are going to come. So five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, take us. What do you think? Just what do you think college football is going to look like? I mean, I think uh, Mike Leach has, if, if anyone's ever seen it, Mike Leach, you, you should look up his thoughts on the playoff structure because he is one, a national treasure yeah. he's a in genius. interviews. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's a genius. He's ridiculous. Yeah, it's funny. But he's absolutely, he's, it's so true what he says. It's like every other level of football has it figured out except for major Division One college. Right. It's a playoff structure. I mean, yeah. Division Two, Division Three, uh, Division One AA, whatever that's called now. I don't even know the acronym. High school. Yeah, the high school, the NFL. Yeah. Everyone except for Division One football. Yeah. So it's it's inevitable. I don't yeah. know why everyone is like fighting it. Like, no. no, we can't. And right now you look at it. So let's go back. What twenty years? Teams played eleven games plus a bowl game, twelve games. Right. We're already up to fifteen. Now. Right. right. So yeah, the reality is they'll either go to sixteen games. Mm-hmm. Or if they really, really are worried about player safety, which we all know they're not, right. no, they're not. then they'll just eliminate the bullshit FCS game that everyone plays yeah. and tack that on at the end of the year. Start mm-hmm. it earlier. And right. it, um, so 20 years from now, I think this is going to look completely different, but it'll look like every other level of football. Yeah. You're going to have a full-on 18, 16-team playoff. It may start with championship week yeah. where that's the first round to get in or whatever. I, you know, some teams play home games so yeah. that they don't have to just travel to all these, well, which, have a bye week because that's the reality of it. Now, seeds. the other part of this is now that you talk about capitalism, I mean, 20 years from now, can you imagine if right now we're going to start compensating athletes for their image and likeness? Imagine where that'll be 20 years from mm-hmm. now. So now you're talking about now the athletes are part of the capitalism. Yes, now they're like, sure. Ooh, we'll play another game if we can get, make more money. Yeah. And now, now you're talking about, it's a mini professional football league. Right. And that's really what it is already. It's just that the money hasn't been distributed that way. Absolutely. But that's, that is what it is. I mean, Ohio State's football program is worth, just the football program is worth a billion dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Not including the basketball and other athletics. That's that's pro. That's pros. I mean, yeah. that is what pros are. So anyway, Zach, no, this is always great talking to you. Um, so I guess we'll get you out of here on this. How do you think the game is going to end up this weekend? 
a Big Ten championship. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's going to be a significant win for Ohio State because they're in a dome, because there's no weather elements, because Justin Fields will be able to just – they'll be able to have a pass game to attack. What Wisconsin does on defense is – it's a it's a great defensive scheme, but they don't have the athletes to cover the athletes that, that Ohio State has. So I see an offensive explosion for Ohio State, something that will will make people kind of say, "Ooh, this this offense and LSU are very similar uh, explosiveness." Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think the Ohio State wins decently big. Now they're going to have some challenges because they're going to see a lot of shit that they didn't see the first time around, but. In a dome, this team with the playoffs on the horizon, I, I don't think it's even close. One other question, actually, last question is, uh, LSU plays Georgia this weekend mm-hmm. in the SEC championship game. There's been some talk about what would have to happen or what could happen for LSU to eventually jump Ohio State. Do you? Is there a scenario if Ohio State wins, even if they don't win big, where you think LSU can actually jump Ohio State this after this weekend, I mean, it would have to be something just ridiculous. I mean, like a forty-point win. I mean, just, right. there's always a possibility. You know, Ohio State could look lackluster. Yeah. I mean, God, God forbid, an injury occurs, and, yeah, sure. and I don't care what they say, they would look at that. If Justin yeah. Fields goes down, they're going to say, "Ooh, right. this is a different team coming to the playoffs." So there's definitely a scenario, but I think it's got to be significant. Ohio State's just proven right now that they're the best team in the country. Right. Georgia, Georgia, and LSU get in if Georgia wins. Absolutely. Okay. For yeah. sure. So that means Utah's out then. If, Utah's if, if out. Jo- I'm most worried about Oklahoma jumping Utah right really? now. That's, yeah. just, that's the narrative everyone's pushing on on sports media, the, and it's like, come on, man. The yeah. thing that bothers me about that is Oklahoma lost to one of the worst TCU teams we've seen. Or was it Kansas State? Kansas they State, they yeah. lost to Kansas State, who's unranked. So that same logic that worked against us last year with the Purdue loss, even though it was a bad loss, it's like you can't have that loss and then jump Utah, Pac-10, Pac-12 champion Utah, and Georgia and say, hey, you guys belong in, right? Well, and it's also a foregone conclusion they're going to beat Baylor. Right. I'm not ready to say they're going to beat Baylor. Yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. Baylor's got a legit shot. I Baylor mean, had Baylor, that game in hand. They, they only did. had one loss, right? Yeah. Baylor. And yeah. no one's even mentioning their possibility. Right. And, and you're talking about it's the same scenario now. This Baylor team had the game won against Oklahoma. Oklahoma ended up pulling it out. Now they got to play again. Right. Yeah. I, I, That's yeah. it. Yeah. We'll see. No, this is going to be a fun weekend. Matt Roll's a solid coach, by the way. And he's legit. Yeah, he is. Well, thanks, Zach. We appreciate it. Make sure you guys check out his podcast, Menace to Sports. You can find it anywhere. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Coach Zach Smith. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guests, Cornelius Green and Zach Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out! Pilot Boys in. Pilot Boys, we got-